Good morning. It is good to see you this morning. If you have your Bible, open up to Galatians 6, and we're going to start in verse 9. You'll see that on the screen behind me. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. So I want to talk for a few minutes about how we got the COVID-19 vaccines, the Pfizer and Moderna varieties. Because I think there's actually an important message in the story behind how those came about. But even as I talk about this, I recognize that whether I can see them or not, or you can see them or not, there are landmines all around this conversation. And I've been told that I've stepped on a variety of landmines over the last 18 months and over the last 18 years of ministry. And sometimes I know they're there, and sometimes it's only later in the week where someone's like, hey, do you know the explosions you set off? It's like, no, I wasn't aware of that, but I appreciate you letting me know. Okay, so here's the first potential one, but I'm, I'm going to risk it. I am grateful that the Trump administration spent money and resources during what they called Operation Warp Speed to fund massive amounts of research and trials and production. And I am grateful for the Biden administration, for the work they have done to distribute and try to get the word out and make the vaccine available for everyone who chooses to take it. And I realize I have probably already set off explosions right there. Because I'm talking about the vaccine, and because I mentioned the current administration and the previous administration, but I did not throw in curse words at the end of doing so. And at this point, I recognize that I have risked no one liking me. I don't even like me at this point. But I think there is something worth telling, and it's not something that happened in this administration or the previous administration, but it started long before that. So get this, the hard work, the foundational work, the breakthrough work for the COVID-19 vaccine started years before COVID-19. You may recall COVID-19 is not the first coronavirus. This is a family of viruses that get their names from the spikes. And we've seen this image, the, the crown, the corona. And the spikes for this non-scientist, as I understand it, as I've read about it and tried to research, those are the parts that stick to your cells when they get inside your body. And those spikes let the virus break into your cells and start replicating. And so years before COVID-19, back at the beginning of the 2000s, we had things like MERS and SARS, and there have been these other respiratory syndromes. And so all the way back then, the NIH, National Institutes of Health, and the CDC started saying, hey, we're going to have to prepare 
Because these things look kind of nasty. They look kind of ugly. And they weren't as contagious as what we're dealing with now. But they saw potential problems. It was back in 2014 when a lab that started at Dartmouth and now is at the University of North Texas, uh, I mean the University of Texas, which I understand is another landmine in Arkansas, just mentioning it. But they begin to try to develop a vaccine to combat coronaviruses using messenger RNA, mRNA. And as science goes, they would try and they would fail, and they would try and they would fail. They would experiment, and they would experiment, and they would experiment, and they would fail, and they would fail. But with each failure, they continued to learn, and they continued to grow. And here's another thing that was helpful for me to understand. Unlike other vaccines, this is not a weakened version of the actual virus. The idea behind the mRNA vaccines is that it produces a protein, and they're trying to replicate those spikes that what it looks like for the coronavirus. But the protein with spikes are harmless in and of themselves, but the idea is that they go inside the body and they start to train the body for the real thing should it show up. It is tapping into the amazing God-created defense system in our body so that if we encounter the real thing, our body has started to produce antibodies. It knows what to do when it sees it. And they started to have success treating other kinds of coronaviruses in the lab. So in January 2020, do you remember January 2020? It feels like a lifetime ago, but that was while every one of us was still going about life as normal in the United States. But we had started to hear about this mysterious and spreading virus in Wuhan, China. It was at the beginning of January 20 that someone from the NIH reached out to this lab at UT and said, hey, this thing looks serious. We want you to be ready. Can you start to do the work? Can you start to get ready? And they said, yeah, we're, we're on it. This is what we've been doing since 2014. And they were building on things that had come long before them. They said all they need is the genetic sequencing for this virus, and they could begin. Well, five days later, scientists from China posted online the genetic code for COVID-19 so that scientists around the world could look at it and start to work on it. And as soon as they saw that genetic code, because they had been working on this for years, they put it into their computer. And as I read, the head scientist at, at that lab said, it took their computer about 10 minutes to figure out what it needed. 10 minutes to figure out what it needed. And then that lab had been working with Moderna, and Moderna, by the way, the name is an homage to mRNA. Moderna, that's where they got it. They sent that on to Moderna, and they shared that also with Pfizer using the same mRNA 
technology. And it was March 16th when the first vaccine was produced. That was, I think, a little before the time when everything shut down in the United States. Now, here's why I tell this story. The speed at which the virus or the vaccine was produced seemed miraculous to some, almost like it was conjured out of thin air and very suspicious to others. And a lot of us were like, how can they do that? I don't know what to, I don't know what to think about that. And it is absolutely remarkable. But it was in no way instantaneous. The development was not overnight, and it was not fly-by-night. So whatever you think of it and however you've approached it, and I know there's a variety of positions within our church here and at home, and wherever you land on that, I I found it very informative to know that the development did not happen within days or weeks. And there were the trials that came afterward, but it actually built on years and decades of work. So that if COVID-19 had actually been COVID-09, if it showed up about 10 years earlier, we wouldn't have been ready. But all of that foundational work, all of the trial and error, all of the time in the labs had set them up for something that came about much quicker than most of us could have imagined. Okay, do you remember the verse we started with from Galatians 6-9? Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. So this comes in a section where Paul talks about reaping what we sow. And he says, if you are interested in only feeding your base desires, if that's what you sow, then here's what you will reap. Things that are destructive, things that are debasing, things that are harmful to yourself and others. But if you want to grow something good, something that lasts, something of God's new age then you have to do all the front-end work and sow that which is good and beautiful and that which is of the Spirit. The best harvest don't simply spring up spontaneously or instantly. It may seem like that when we see the buds starting to poke up out of the ground, but the best harvests require us to stay diligent, to not grow weary in doing good, and give up doing all of the preparation, all the front-end work of planning and tending and planting and fertilizing and pest control. The harvest is just the payoff of all the hard work that came before. So I mentioned last week that most of us did not see coming what we have gone through over the last 18 months or so. And nor should we have. There were a few folks who were in this line of business, as we talked about, that were looking ahead and planning ahead and doing the work. 
But most of us, we can't see around every corner. And if we live our lives constantly afraid of what's ahead, we can prepare, but we can't predict. And it's crazy making if we always live in that kind of fear. But to borrow an image from the Joseph story, what we can do is store away supplies during the fat cow years so that when we hit the lean cow years of famine, we're not caught unprepared. We can weather those storms, and in fact, we can be in a position to help other people weather those storms as well. There are habits we can form and maintain that take us down paths of peace so that when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we do not fear because we know the rod and the staff of the Good Shepherd are with us. Preparation doesn't mean that we can avoid those valleys. It means we can persevere in the strength of God in the midst of those valleys. And God goes with us. And I want to continue on this line, but to do that, I want to switch metaphors for a moment. And instead of talking about something that's dominated the news for the last 18 months, I want to talk about something that's at the forefront of the news over the last week. And that is, I want to talk about the Olympics. So in the Olympics... Athletes in their competition sometimes have only seconds or maybe minutes or maybe a game or a few games to to run, to swim, to throw a really heavy metal ball. But that competition that only lasts a brief time will never be successful if the athletes only put effort into that one moment. We know that while we don't see all the front-end work, if an athlete is going to be successful, they have to spend day upon day, week upon week, year upon year, training and preparing to be in a place to succeed. And Paul uses the image of athletic training to talk about the effort we put into growth and maturity and development of our life in God and our walk with the Spirit and our following Jesus. And in two of his letters, he, he writes to the church in Corinth, which was host to the Isthmian Games. And the Isthmian Games were only second behind the Olympic Games in the ancient world in their prominence. And so he draws on this image that they would have known well. They would have seen around them. So listen to 1 Corinthians 9.25. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal, an imperishable prize. It's not going to fade away. So I run with purpose in every step. I'm not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. 
Paul is pointing out what we just talked about, about athletes. Raw ability only gets you so far. If you want to succeed, you have to train, you have to prepare. He talks about shadow boxing. And just a little bit of shadow boxing does not prepare you to step in the ring and succeed. Only a little bit of shadow boxing prepares you to step in the ring and be pummeled. You will be on the mat in no time. An occasional walk around the block does not prepare you for the marathon. Try as you might when the gun goes off. If you did not train, you will not succeed. And Paul's real concern is not the games. He wants us to pursue the kind of prize that doesn't fade away, that's not perishable, the prize of participating in God's life starting now and extending forever. That's the victor's crown. And he makes this more explicit in 1 Timothy 4, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise both for the present life and the life to come. I love that. Life in God is the most promising life, or as Jesus says, it is life to the full. In this life and the life to come. And we might find that some parts of living life in God for some people come naturally. Some people are just a little more naturally inclined, or we, we might say are gifted. They're gifted to be kind. Or some people are gifted to be generous. Or some people are gifted to be especially forgiving. But regardless of our gifts, we all have room for growth. We know how busyness gets in the way, and distraction gets in the way, and complacency gets in the way, and sin gets in the way, and boredom gets in the way, and competing voices and visions for life get in the way. And so like an athlete, even in places where we are gifted by the Spirit, it, til- it still takes training to be our best. A Simone Biles floor routine may look easy and natural as she flips and spins and dances her way across the floor. But the only reason it looks natural is because she's taken the enormous gifts that God has given her and then she's trained endlessly to get there. And again, regardless of what you think about the vaccine, it may have seemed to come together in weeks or months, but it actually took decades of work and research and study and trial and error and building off the people and the research that had come before it. And people with deep spiritual practices can make things look easy. The person that finds inner peace in the midst of the chaos that we've been living through, they may make it look easy. Or the person that creates peace is a peacemaker and finds ways to build bridges and unite 
with others, even when they disagree, when everything around us keeps telling us to go to our different camps, to polarize, don't talk, don't cooperate, don't work together. Those peacemakers may make it look easy. And the person who shows enormous generosity when so much around us is falling apart and the temptation is to grab tight onto everything we have. They may make it look easy. And the person that shows forgiveness when they feel hurt or slighted or betrayed may make it look easy easier, the person that shows tremendous wisdom in complicated situations may make it look easy. And maybe those folks have some gifts in those areas, a special measure of the Spirit, but chances are they have also spent years cultivating the life of God in their life, working on patience, working on peace, time in prayer, time in study, time in openness to the Word of God, to work on wisdom, building deep reservoirs of of relationships so that when they struggle, others circle around, rehearsing the story of our forgiveness with God so that when they're in a position to give forgiveness, it may not be easy, but they know where to turn for the strength and the story. In other words, we don't just stumble into the life filled with God. It is a gift of God, first and foremost. It is always God's gift. But then it also takes work on our part effort, a lifetime of training in godliness. So I want to close by telling you a story I love about a man there's a good chance you haven't heard of. His name is Charles Proteus Steinmetz. And when he came to America at the turn of the last century, he was young, brilliant, immigrant from Germany, And he had studied prolifically in math, in chemistry, in electrical engineering. He had a PhD. Then he came to America, and he soon developed a reputation for his intelligence and his abilities. And he eventually worked for GE, General Electric, for about 30 years. But at one point, Steinmetz was called out to one of Henry Ford's factories in Dearborn, Michigan. And there was this gigantic generator that was continually having problems. They don't have computers to troubleshoot this thing. And Ford's engineers could not solve the problem. Every time they thought it was fixed, it would break down again. Every time they thought it was fixed, it would break down again. So finally, they call in Steinmetz. And upon arriving, first he rejected assistance from anyone else. And he asked for three things, a notebook, a pencil, and a cot. And Steinmetz listened to the generator, stayed there for two nights, scribbled computations on a notepad. And on the second night, he asked for a ladder. He climbed up the generator, made a chalk mark on one side, and then he told Ford's skeptical engineers to remove a plate 
at the mark and place 16 windings from the field coil. And they did, and the generator performed to perfection. And Henry Ford was thrilled naturally until he got the bill. And the bill was for $10,000, which is a huge sum at the turn of the last century. And Ford was beside himself, and he wanted to know why. And so he asked Steinmetz for an itemization. I want to see where this money is going and why I owe you $10,000. And so Simetz wrote up uh, an itemized bill himself with two items. Number one, making chalk mark on generator, $1. Number two, knowing where to make the mark, $9,999. And Ford paid the bill. We know when we hire professionals. If I hire a lawyer, that hourly bill is not just for the hour. If we go into surgery, the bill is not just for the time in surgery. If I go to my mechanic, it's not just the cost of the part or even the time it takes for them to replace the part. We're not just paying for that moment. We are paying for all the time it took for them to get to that place, to know what to do when they got there. We're paying for their preparation, for their training, for their hard work, that they put the thought and time to get them to a place where they would know exactly where that chalk mark should go. It's all in the training and the study and the preparation. It's not just on a whim. When we want to grow in God, when we want to experience life to the full, which we believe comes through God, God's gift, yes, but then the work that we put in to join God in the maturation process, in the development process, in the process of growing in understanding. We know that if we want to continue to grow, to be transformed, as Paul describes it, from glory to glory, then it is a gift we open ourselves up to, but we also have to do the work. A lifetime of work. Peace, peacemaking, kindness, love, mercy, unifying. It doesn't come easy. But it is always worth the work.